You are listening to the New Street X podcast, where we interview people who understand the intersection of physical and digital collectibles. We're entering an exciting world in the collectible space that involves things like sneakers, NFTs, trading cards, fashion, sports, pop culture, and much, much more. And these things are coming together. So we're here to talk to people that understand that, people that are really building the future of collectibles around the world. Thank you so much for listening. Please follow us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, and hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the New Street X Podcast. I'm excited to have you today, a special guest, Phil Terrell. He's the founder and CEO at SoulSafe. What's SoulSafe? They provide asset management for sneakers, everything in one place to manage your sneaker collection so you can collect, connect, track, and insure. And Phil, looking forward to talking about SoulSafe and your, your background, your passion for the sneaker industry, man. Yeah, Tony, appreciate you for having me. I'm excited. I've been looking forward to this since we connected. So, so let, let's do it. Yeah. Well, okay. Let me, I mean, there's so many things I'm going to ask you, but like, let's begin with, okay, what were you doing right before SoulSafe? And then what's the story of how you came up with the SoulSafe idea and like the inspiration? So like pre-SoulSafe, what was Phil? Who was Phil pre-SoulSafe? Yeah, pre-SoulSafe, I was doing my corporate thing at Microsoft. So I was in business development on the product side for Microsoft Teams. So doing all the things that allow people to communicate with each other from video, voice, chat, SMS, like really focused on growing that business for Microsoft. Was at Microsoft for a little bit less than seven years and all kinds of roles and things. And then, so that's what I was doing. I was still, you know, probably buying a shit ton of sneakers, let my wife tell it. And, you know, prior to that, worked at a family business in Atlanta that's, you know, still operational today and doing well. And, you know, I was just in in, in corporate doing tech shit, having a good time. <laughs> well, okay, okay. So, but let's say Phil and Microsoft doing business development. Sounds like, you know, maybe your, your, your wife would vouch for this. On the side, you're buying sneakers, you're getting more and more of them. So it sounds like building up a collection. What, what makes you get into actually leaving that job and then taking on SoulSafe? Was there like some inspiration, some moment where you thought, hey, like I've been doing this for a while. Here's what I see is missing in sneakers. Yeah, so I, I actually started working on SoulSafe on accident. Like, and I, I've probably told this story like a thousand times. People probably, they've heard it or tired of it. But when I mean on accident, like, <laughs> I mean on accident, Tom. Like, yeah, so like I had got engaged 2020. Right. And so, you know, like anybody that gets engaged, you end up spending a lot of money. In that case, like I was like saving for this really nice ring. I was like, boom, this is it. I'm only doing this one time. I'm going to just drop this money and I'm out. Right. I'm done. And so I spend this money on this ring and I'm thinking I have so many questions. Right. Like about insuring it, because like as soon as I get to the jeweler. Right. They're like, hey, you just spent, you know, X amount of dollars. Most people get it insured. I'm like, yeah, of course. Okay, what does that mean though? <laughs> like, you know, like what is, I had so many questions about like what's covered, what's not covered, you know, all this stuff. And so when we, we got engaged, I had, I started that conversation with our insurance agent, asking a ton of questions. It, she probably thought I was like a psycho. And then I was like, okay, great. Like at the same time, we were actually like flipping a house. So we were, it's all kinds of like life, lifing was happening, right? And I was in the house and I think my father in law, was in like a room that was like, it was like a house they bought as is, right? And so we were in this house, originally like with the intent to flip it. And then we were we were in there too, like my wife and I. And so we were like, well, I found these like original Jordans, right? Like 
like 10 or 12 pair of original Jordans. And long story short, I was like, yo, I got to have them. Like, I got to, I think I need to live here. <laughs> you know, it's like, I need to live in this home. And so <laughs> I was like, yo, we're, I told my wife or, and my father, I was like, I think we got to live here. Like, we should just move in, you know, fine. Start our home. This is all good. And we found Jordans in it. There's like, it's like a win-win. Wait, these Jordans, who who do they belong to? And where did, did you, what's the story behind that? They belong to the previous owner. And they just left them there. So yeah, like it, they were gone. Like, because my father-in-law bought the house as is. So there's like all kinds of stuff in this house. Like, so we're, you know, we're just like demo day, you know, like you see on TV. It's like, we got to clean out the house. And there's like this one room in this guy's bedroom or whatever it was. He had like a whole bunch of vinyl records and sneakers in there. And I was like, yo, I don't need the vinyl records, right? Like, you gotta have a lot of space for the vinyl records. I already have some vinyls at my little collection. I'm, I'm good. But like, you know, on the sneaker front, I was like, yo, I'll take all of them. <laughs> he had like old Jordan posters, like Mary J. Blige, you know, like all these like things from like the 90s. And I was like, like the Jordan posters are, we have those too. And, and I was like, man, this, this, this is crazy. You know, like, and I mean, like some, you know, some of these shoes, like I, I brought some with me, like these were in there, the 90, like 92 Barcelona 7s. No, those weren't in there. This pair was in there, these cement threes. Like, these are the old joints. I've since used them for, like, many demo purposes because we have an insurance coverage for crumbling. And so so there was, like, a handful of them. And I was like, yeah, this is it. And then, like, months later, right, we also had a flood, right? And so combining all this stuff together, my interest in insurance now, finding these pairs of original Jordans on top of my existing collection, plus experiencing, you know, a near loss with the flood, I was like, there's got to be a way, right? And most people don't have flood protection, right? Especially even if you live in a non-flood zone. And so I was thinking like, I went out and started looking up, you know, companies that offered insurance, whether it's collectibles, couture, whatever. And, you know, I wanted insurance a certain way for the sneak, you know, from my point of view as a sneaker collector. And it didn't exist, right? And it wasn't my home insurance, traditional insurance, which we can get into later. And, you know, I was like, hey, this is a really short niche area, but there's also so much uniqueness to the to the space that you would only know how to create a coverage or a product that would cover sneakers if you were actually a sneaker collector. And so I was like, instead of translate to an old industry like insurance, I just decided to build it. And then I got into a an accelerator, like a top tier accelerator called Techstars with the Minnesota Twins, which, you know, is the the jersey behind me. And and I quit my job at Microsoft and that was like the real beginning of like, I was doing some stuff on the side with SoulSafe, like some pre-accelerators, non take, didn't, some that didn't take equity and all that just to kind of learn. But getting into Techstars was like the moment where I was like, I'm all in. And then when, when was this and where does the company come to this point? Like if I, let's say today, I've got a sneaker collection of let's say 100 sneakers. Well, I come to SoulSafe and how exactly does it work? Is it, is it like working with an insurance company, but you have like, of course, like a more nuanced take on the specific industry and specific type of products? Because I would have thought that a regular insurance company allows you to insure something like sneakers or at least something similar to that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So how, how it works, right? And so we're, where we kind of play a different role. So, and I always tell this to people, like, if for some reason, like you have a great insurance relationship and you feel like your home is going to do what you think it's going to do, like your home insurance or renters, go for it. Right. I said, but where you start to run into the differences, right, is let alone coverages, right? Like you're not going to likely be covered for flood on your home insurance. Like, so we cut, co- we cover that. If you're wearing a pair of sneakers, it's unlikely you're going to walk into your 
agent's office or call your insurance company and be like, yo, I just, the soul fell off my, you know, Jordan threes, right. Or whatever it is, or, you know, Yeezys, they're going to be like, so what? Right. And you're not going to file a claim for it because your deductible is already probably like a thousand dollars, $1,500. So it's for a single pair, unlikely that you would use your, your home insurance. Right. And so that's where like specialized insurance comes into play. And then there's this whole back and forth that people often go through with like, market value, retail value, market value, retail value. And in, like in our world, it's an easy sort of conversation. It's like, it's the market value and it's, and, or it's whatever you stated, right? Like there's a way for a customer to name their price for lack of better terms, because you might have like a custom or a PE or something like one of one super rare, or you just might say the market value that we showed you, maybe you don't agree with in general. And you're like, I think it's more, I think it's less fine. So it's super simple. Like in four, four clicks to me, you know, it's, Assuming you've added a sneaker already, which will take like not that long, right? But in, in the scenario you gave with the hundred shoes, you would just inventory those hundred shoes on the SoulSafe app, literally go into the insurance flow, right? Add, add the sneakers you want. You could just hit select all, say all a hundred, pick the plan you want. We offer two plans, lock, which is like super basic, safe, which is like the, the soup to nuts kind of plan, like all inclusive from flooding to theft to pet damage, little kids scribbles on your sneakers, they get lost on an airplane, like all these things to, to wearing them on your feet. Right. We cover everything but crumbling. I mean, but creasing. Not, we do cover crumbling, we cover everything but creasing. Right. Which would make sense to somebody wearing their shoes. Then if you want to adjust the like total coverage amount or like insured amount, you can do a take a slider and go left to right and plus minus 10 percent of the value. You can do an add on if you want crumble coverage for the sneakers that are less than 10 years old, which is where we're starting from with that until we get more data and stuff. And then you see a summary of the of the what you're about to pay, which would show like your premium, how much you're going to pay a month, any taxes and fees, which you know will apply, any discounts that were created based on how you store your shoes, or if you have a security alarm or any of that kind of stuff gets applied, and then you check out, right? And then the only thing that we ask for people to do, whether it's in the process or after the fact. And within a 30 day period is take photos, right? For proof of ownership, which is important. So we know like the pre-loss condition, right? And so that way there's no dispute either with the customer, right? When we have to go have a, when a customer files a claim, we're like, well, these were the shoes that you insured. So we know the pre-loss damage and then here's what happened. Okay, cool. It's easy for us to be like, yeah, that's, that's cool. We have the information. If, you know, if it's a death claim, file your police report, give us the documents or, and we, you know, if we need to verify, we can otherwise. You have everything you need and then you get paid out, right? So it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty smooth. This, this makes so much sense. And it also sounds like so simple that like it makes sense to me why this exists. What, as you like kind of look to the, the future now, like what, what's your plan for like growing the business, growing the company? Like, I don't know, maybe other services or other types of related products. I don't know, streetwear maybe. Like what, what are you thinking in terms of like what's, what's yeah. next? Yeah, I think I think we like where we scale on our side is like very similar to like trip insurance or travel insurance, right? Or when you go buy an expensive electronic, they ask you, do you want a protection plan like at the point of the transaction? Right. And I, I think for us, right, like which is what we're working on today, whether that's with a marketplace, with a an e-commerce or a digital retailer, a store, like we want to be able to to use the insurance insurance word, like embed, right? Like embed the insurance inside the transaction. So it makes it very easy for someone to buy a pair of sneakers and buy insurance in a single transaction, you know, like at, at one moment, in one moment. Right. So there's, 
you know, like no after the fact, like, oh, I got to go after the fact. It's like, no, you can do it right now for those thousand dollar sneakers that you're about to buy. Pay, you know, a small percentage, maybe like two percent of the value, you know, at the time of checking out, which you do for shipping and everything else. And then you get a receipt from your retailer, you get a receipt from SoulSafe. That's like, cool. We already know who you are. Log into the, you know, download the app if you don't have it already. Log in and the sneaker you just bought insurance for will be one inventory in your collection and then two also insured. And so that's like on the sneaker front, like on the insurance side. Well, yeah, we, we probably go into other ca- categories, right? Like, you know, I'm, I think sports memorabilia is a direct connection for us to, to, to sneakers. Maybe we get into trading cards. I don't, I don't know how far we go into like random things, you know, like stamps or, you know, whatever, but nothing against those things. Right. But I don't think that's where we would live. And that's just for the insurance. Right. I think where we get to next is probably in a more financial services realm. Right. Because of like how we look at ourselves as like asset management, we focus on some of the more add on or additive services, you know, that are not as commonly found in the market. Like there's a lot of marketplaces, right. Whether that's buy, sell, trade. Like I think we, we have that sort of covered in terms of the mark, the community, but how we get utility out of our sneakers, how do we protect the value? Like that's, that's where we're really focused at. Whether that means lending, you know, sneakers as collateral, whether that's, you know, fractionalization is already a thing. Um, you know, we have a different take that we might do on fractional versus like one-off items. We have, you know, approach that would be more community centric, you know, and then thinking about how can somebody actually do a combination of the three, you know, insure, lend, borrow, whatever, fractional, make money off of it. You know, and I'm a huge fan of like partnering too, right? So I think there's a lot of integration, data sharing that we can do, you know, across platforms, you know, to make it an easy experience for for sneaker collectors and, you know, collectors of other categories too. This this makes so much sense. And as as I think about this right now, like it's pretty forward thinking in the sense that most people, I mean, I think to myself, just sneaker collecting in general, and you know the rise of things like StockX, Goat, Grail, like that. Sneaker collecting's been around for a while, but the sort of secondary market, the growth of it, that hasn't been like around for super long. You know, like like twenty years ago, the idea of like getting like before like the pigeon dunk, for example, like the idea of getting crazy resale value was still kind of wild. And then now we're at the point where like, yo, let's actually lend against sneakers. Let's actually fractionalize them. Let's collateralize them. And I see also now you have like Sotheby's and Christie's. Yeah, I mean, like Sotheby's, like and I was just it out the other day, like Sotheby's has like a whole website where they're basically like an e-commerce site now where you can literally buy one of the shoes that they have acquired for $70,000, like a Louis Vuitton, Air Force One, whatever, directly off the Sotheby's website. Like to your point, like five years ago, probably even maybe less than that, but like five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years for sure. No way would Sotheby's, even be like in the realm of selling limited collectible sneakers that were not autographed. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. I mean, considering this has changed so much, like what would you say is like the main drivers that have made sneakers like grow so much over the last 10, 10, 10, 15, 20 years? Because I mean, of course, like you could, you could go all the way back to like, let's say the founding of like Air Jordan and like the Pigeon Dunk and then maybe StockX. But from from your experience, like what are the main things pushing the industry forward right now in terms of like hype or I guess interest or financialization of these things? Yeah. Well, well look, so I, I think there's like this, there's a few things that I see happening right now and where we've come and where we are right now and like where we're probably about to go, right? Which sure, like we came from, you know, if you go back to 85, you can go before that, right? 
there's always been this sort of cultural connection between music, sports, sneakers. It all sort of fashion, like it all sort of has played there. You can go as far back as you want. You know what I mean? Like to the seventies, you could probably go further back with like Chuck Taylors. Like it's a whole thing, you know, like it, you can look at any sport, Stan Smith's like with tennis or like, it, like there's all kinds of things that make sne- have made sneakers like, you know, what they are, you know, like now let's, let's just like fast forward to a little bit. So now you have sure. Like what happens with the pigeon dunk, you know, wild shit occurs, right? Like the beginning of, I think sneaker craze occurs. Like, I think that's what, what triggered that. And then, yeah, sure. With the rise of, you know, stock eggs, you know, campless, whatever you want to call it. Like it created a, a economic infrastructure for sneakers, you know? So like what happened then, you know, I, I give credit to Josh Luber for thinking that way and the team, right? Because yeah, it, com- it commoditized sneakers in a different way. Like it basically started creating securities, right? Like that, I mean, that, that's what happened. Now the difference is, it's like now, then the explosion occurs, right? The bubble ex- expands, gr- blows up. Sneaker values are absurd. People are seeing, you know, we're in a capitalistic society, you know, like I can flip sneakers just like I can flip a house, right? I, you know, it's like the same things occur. And now what's happening, right? So at least what I see is there's a, the emergence of all the play, platforms. The market is starting to normalize itself, right? It's like people are seeing like you can get a Travis Scott for $500, $600 where before it was like a four-figure sneaker, right? Like you can, it's, things are starting to become easily accessible. The in, Obviously like the, the bot situation is a pain point. It's still a pain point today, like, I try to get the regular, like, like a regular purchase, which maybe it's not regular, but you know, like the SB4s, right? I, I, I like, I really wanted those, right? Like, I, but it's like almost virtually impossible unless you like have a plug or get a backdoor situation, right? For for sneakers that are still relevant or hyped up. But what I start, what I'm starting to see, like, from my vantage point as a business, you know, soul safe the business is, or what I think is coming, it's like a period of consolidation. Like every every industry sort of goes through that, right? Where there's a lot of players. At first, there's like a few players that sort of lead the way, which has occurred. That was like the StockX, the GOAT. eBay sat back and was like, let me see what the startups are going to do. You know, and then they brought their balance sheet and all the cash and were like, all right, we're going to play again, right? You know, before like eBay was the go-to, right? You couldn't really trust it though because you were like, I don't know if this shit's real or not. And then they watched, you know, what the other players did. They added authentication, authentication. And then like, you know, which is a whole other conversation we could get into. And and now we're here, right? But I think, and you have players across all spectrums, whether it's buy, sell, buy, sell, dead stock, buy, sell, pre-owned. Now you have trading, which is dope. Like, sure, like, you know, using one sneaker to get another, that's cool. You know, you have fractionalization, whether that's like Otis or Rares or whoever. You have SoulSafe talking about insurance, right? And so now you look across like the economic spectrum, you're like, I can do everything from buy a sneaker and at some point do everything from potentially like get a loan against my sneakers. But I think at some point, like, there's going to be a period of consolidation though, because you have so many smaller players trying to compete with the well-funded or overfunded, whatever, startups, right? Like, and now, I mean, they're not technically startups anymore, but like, you have to have capital to compete with the StockX as a marketplace. You have to have capital to compete with eBay. You have to have capital to compete with any bigger retailer. And so now if you're a smaller player, you are probably going to have to, at some point, join forces with someone. Right. And then on top of that, you also have people that literally just want, you know, like even in in the new street case. Right. Like there's also data data providers like that's how like holistic the world is for the world we're in. And so it's like I can see a world where like these things consolidate to compete. 
and that that'll be interesting. And then because of the macro environment, right? Like, and then I'll, I'll shut up on this, but like the macro environment is lending itself or moving us in a way where because the, the macro environment is creating inflation, sure, like, you know, recessionary conversations, like there's, there's this thing of like, people are still buying sneakers. They're not the same value in the street, so to speak, but they're still amassing the value, right? And so for us, right, we're like, well, the psyche of insuring something of value hasn't arrived yet like that. It's for like mainstream collectors. I think collectors with bigger collections, like myself or whoever, and I mean, I'm, I'm probably like on the lower end of like a bigger collector. Like I have like a few hundred, there are people with thousands, right? And so like, I think there's, for us, that's where, where I, I see things. And then, yeah, to, to even mention like the idea of like sneakers as collateral in whatever sense or fractionalizing sneakers, indexes, you know, I, I, it's, it's wild. So, you know, and then the next, then I think the next true step though, is because it gives people so much anxiety is something has to be done about proof of ownership and like provenance related to like at the point of manufacturing for sneakers. I think, I think that will change the game because then it will, it will unify the ecosystem, right? To be like this shoe has like a car does, right? Like a car has a VIN number, you know, in our, in like in the, I don't know if there's, I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe like overseas it's a different thing, but like, in, a, in the States, right? Like every car has a unique identifier that says this vehicle identifier number is ABCD123. You know everything about that car from the time it was brought to off the manufacturer's production floor to the time it was sold. It resold, repaired, if somebody smoked in that thing or not, like all these things, you know, that's like the car facts, right? At some point, we have to know that same information about a sneaker. Like it's true life cycle from, from the time it was produced to the time it gets put on a shelf to the time it gets sold at a store, all those things. So I think at some point we may get to that level of granularity, but it's going to take like a consortium, so to speak, to to make it happen. I just got to say, that's probably one of the best overviews I've heard of the sneaker industry in the broadest sense of beyond just like buying and selling shoes, but the 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 after sales, the different ways you can use it as like as an asset and looking into the future. I just want to say thank you for sharing that because that's like, one of the best overviews I've heard, for sure, for real. Just my point of view, though, Tony. Like, I could be wrong. Yeah, maybe. Well, there, there are two things that come to mind here. Yeah, like, well, because I think also, and maybe this is just a cultural thing that will change, but something you hear from, like, the old school sneaker collector folks, sneaker heads, complaining about things like, oh, like, you know, these hype beasts just trying to resell stuff, these bots. There's, like, an element, at least from, from what I can see, I'm wouldn't say like I'm deep, deep, deep into this community, but people like pushing back against the idea that, oh, it's being more commoditized. What, what's your take on, is that like a minority of loud voices or is that like just, I, I don't know, is that like, a, is that going to actually challenge the ability for these things to progress? And then also after I want to ask about your, like how, how brands respond to this too. But yeah, on the community thing first. Yeah, well, I think on the, on the, co- on the collector side, I think, I think it's, a little bit of both, right? Like meaning like a, a small group is probably saying that, like beating that drum because there was a time where they could easily walk into a store and get whatever they wanted, right? Or or the other side of that, right? Not just walking into a store. It was more of an experience to go get a sneaker. Like the hunt of getting a sneaker is what made the culture and what still does for like the purists, right? Like the OGs in the, in the game, right? Like, like there's something to be said for people that are willing to like travel to go get a sneaker or have to like hit up somebody else to, you know, like, you know, it's just like how the, like, what's that game you play as a kid where, you know, you like 
put the, the thing on your ear and then you got to tell somebody else, you know, whatever. But it's that kind of thing, right? It's like you, you get to leverage the community to, you know, or activate the community because we're all passionate about the sneaker, right? Like, it's not just about like how much it's worth. It's like, man, like I really love the story they told, which is, and I'll get to, that's really like my connection to the brand part. It's like, I really love like the storytelling or I loved like, like in this case, right? Like I'm from Minnesota, like Kevin Durant. I mean, Kevin Garnett is my dude, right? Like, you know, like, so having, and this is an old pair, but it's like, you know, having the sneaker, it means more to me than just being like, Hey man, this is, it's a dope pair, you know, from whatever, you know, 2015, whatever it was, right? Like, whatever this release is, but you know, whatever. And, and so it's like the story, the journey to get a shoe or to go find a grail that you wanted as a kid, right? Like all that kind of stuff is relevant for like an old, old, older collector, or like an OG type of collector. And then you transition that to being like, like the bot economy, right? It's like, man, you're robbing a lot of people of something that they were like, in my case, like I was born into sneakers, you know, it's not something like that just happened because I could see like, these shoes were bought for 210 and I could go sell them for 250. You know, like I'm not even a reseller by like, and it's crazy because like the definition of reseller has changed. Like reselling for primary income is the difference different than like me, like being like, yo, Tony, I have these shoes. I'll sell them to you. Right. I might make, you know, a do- like a dollar off of them, you know, or you might be like, cool, I got them for t- retail and I might charge you 230 because I got to pay for the shipping or some shit back. You know what I mean? But like the spirit was like, I'll still sell them to you for retail or at a way better price. You know, like, like my friends, like if I can't get a shoe and I really wanted it, they'll try to go get it for me. Right. That's like the equivalent of a bot, right? It's like the human version. It's like my friend is going to acquire a shoe and give me the opportunity to buy it from them for retail. Now flip that to the brands, right? The brands are a little bit at, at fault for this, right? Because as much as like they talk about like preventative measures, it's like, yeah, but somebody's still using like if the if the idea was to stop the botting from happening, you know, they would, right? Like they would do it <laughs> the same way they would they limit supply and demand. Like they could do the same, right? They have like a, a brand like a Nike or an Adidas. They have enough capital, enough technology, you know, power to basically be like, yes, if we wanted to shut that down. We could, right? But they also benefit, like on the marketing side, like they benefit from people being frustrated about not getting a pair because now it's 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 word of mouth happening, right? It's like I didn't get them, I didn't get them. I hate this, I didn't get them. I don't like it. I'm taking the L every week, every day, right? But then it's like, but when I get a chance to win, it's like ah, oh, you know, it's like I forgive you, you know, you know. And it's it's really like a I don't know, like I I think the the brands really could do better, but then you then you think about it, right? which is where we're at now with supply, right? So Nike has excess product. So does Adidas, right? On the easy side. That's it. The reasons why they have them are very different, but, you know, still, like there's a there's an overage in terms of supply. You know, and the demand is low for these shoes because we're like, ah, oh, these aren't the ones we want, right? And so you guys, you guys overproduce sneakers thinking that the hype train would run for every single release, which, you know, it hasn't. Excuse me. And then you but you tie that to macro factors and that, you know, people may not want to spend any more on a five hundred dollar shoe, you know, anymore. So there's like all this stuff. So anyway, I, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. I think that at some point, if we can, meaning we sneaker collectors can sort of help continue to normalize the space, it will help force brands to be like, cool, like we need to rethink some things, which I give credit to other brands like like a New Balance. You know, who 
I'm not a big New Balance guy. Like I just started getting into New Balances. I'm not like a a poser, right? Like I'm not like a fair weather sneakerhead. Like everybody's on New Balances. Like if I was, I'm not I'm not like a Nike person. I'm a Jordan person. So I mean, I just had my first couple pair of New Balances, and and I love how they do it, right? Like they partner with actual designers. They let them have design control. They let them tell the stories. The stories, you know, are relevant and tangible. You know, and it works. And you can actually acquire the sneaker. There's a little bit of hype to it, which is cool. But it's like you can still get it, right? If, if you're like in the know, right, of the New Balance ecosystem, you can get them. Like Nike, on the other hand, is like, shit, you might not ever have a chance on a shoe you really like. So same with Adidas, you know, bigger brand. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, there, there are so many questions I have here. I'm just realizing, like, I'm going to lock you in for a part two at some point because like every single one of like the sentences you said, like I feel like you have like, yeah, like you have like a follow-up question. But before I get into some of them, like to touch on some of them, maybe take me back to, I guess when you were like a kid or something, right? Like, did you start, like, how did you first start getting the sneakers? Was it because of a particular, I don't know, it sounds like Jordan's your your go-to. Because I'm always interested to know like, okay, so like, let's say you grew up watching Michael Jordan. I don't know, like, what, what was your connection to sneakers when you were younger? And how has that changed? Or is it the same? It's like, you're the same person like when you were younger, like loving the same sneakers or... Yeah, I mean, literally, like, I think because I'm from Minneapolis, like the Midwest, right, like we're hours away, you know, from Chicago, like by driving, it's like six hours or something, right? Like all I knew, and I came from a basketball family, right? Like a basketball family. And so all I knew was like, one, I just knew basketball, but then all I knew was Jordan, right? Like that was like the guy, right? And even when like the Timberwolves, had a chance, like they beat the Bulls one year. I was like still rooting for like the, the Bulls, right? I'm like, <laughs> you know, I don't know what it, it was like. It, you know, it's like America's team, right? For, like Dallas is like that for football. It's like, for me, it's like the Bulls are like America's team, you know, that or the Lakers, I guess, or whatever. But if you're a Midwest person, it's likely, it's likely you're a Bulls fan, unless you're like from Detroit. That's different. But like Detroit to me is like East Coast because they're like on Eastern time zones. So I'm like, you're out, you're out. You're not you're not part of the middle, <laughs> even though they are, but, you know, so that that's how it started. Right. And so like growing up it, as like a 90s kid, like all I saw was the Bulls winning championships. I saw and I, I gravitated to Jordan. Right. I had I have like a, a, a family friend of ours who actually played with Jordan. And so it was like I, re- I got really like into it. You know what I mean? Like really. into it. And I like I, I had I, I wanted every Jordan sneaker. I bought as many Jordan games as I could, like. As a kid, you know, Space Jam is one of my favorite movies. Jordan 11s are one of my favorite pair of shoes, which, you, you know, is, I make known publicly. It's like they're everywhere in our office. Like, they're, I was born on the 11th. Like, it's just this thing, right? And so, <laughs> so like, you know, there's the, the Bulls to me and, the, and Jordan is amazing, right? And then, like, I, because I'm a basketball person, like, what I saw, and I, I wasn't, I was two years old when the Barcelona Olympics happened, right? But when I actually saw footage of it, I was like, yo, these dudes were great. Like the dream team is everything. Like, I have a poster of the dream team, like an old poster, like from that, like with the dream team on it. And I mean, like, which is like this, this is like the shoe from there. Right. And so it's like, that's those kinds of memories for me are like what connected me probably the most to, to Jordan, you know? And then like, I think through osmosis or proximity, you become a Nike guy, right. Because of the Nike Jordan relationship, of course. You know, and then every athlete over time that I've ever sort of gravitated to was a Nike athlete, personally. And so, like, I always equated Nike with, like, high-end, high-performance, excellence at all times, like, perpetual greatness. Like, 
I was like, it's Jordan or nothing. It's Nike or nothing. You know, and so that's why like 99% of my collection is <laughs> Jordan. Because I'm like, as a regular person, I'm like, man, if I have on some Jays or some Nikes, like no, nothing can stop me today, you know? And how's that like, I mean, obviously when you're collecting these as a kid, it's different than than you now. Do you still spend your time going after, I don't know, like grails that you haven't got yet? Or do you still spend a lot of money on Jordan? And you a Bulls fan as well? Like do you collect, I don't know, memorabilia from that kind of stuff as well? Yeah, so I'm not a, I'm not a big memorabilia person. Like I'm only a memorabilia person if it's like somebody gave it to me in the mo- like in a moment, right? Like I'm not a hunter like some other people, which is cool. Like they're they're really into like sports memorabilia. I- I'm not. But on the sneaker front, right? Like I've actually been in that phase recently, right? Where a lot of people like over the last few years, like a lot of people are into the new releases, and I'm like, sure, there's certain ones I want, but like you know, I'm trying to go get like Jordan tens or like powder nines, and I you know like c- certain certain releases or like the Jordan twenties like the East pack, like there were certain ones I really wanted, like the chutney color, like I really wanted those. And I'm starting to go back and get those. Or if I had shoes, like I sold a long time ago, whether in college or high school or wherever, like I'm specifically looking for those. Right. And it's not even about how much they are. It's about like how they, what they signify, you know, for me in the collection. Right. And it's like every little piece adds like a piece of the culture into my collection, you know, in my like, connection to it over a period of 32 years since I've been born because I feel like unlike a lot of people like and maybe if your your parents are like sentimental type but like the minute like I still found like the minute I saw like my baby Jordan like my first pair I took it right I took it and like held on to it and I still have it right and so like that's probably like the ultimate grail for me is because I was born in 90 the Jordan 5 is my favorite silhouette I'm always like now my like top grill right now is finding a pair from from 90, like an original that maybe I could put on my feet. Maybe unlikely, but <laughs> that would be like that would be like my top. That's my top grill right now. And it could be like, you know, yeah, it may well, cost me a few grand to get it. It We'll see. Yeah, no, I, I'm interested to hear your your take on like how the space has evolved then, because. I mean, right now, Nike and Jordan, especially in the retail, the resale market, are are on top. Adidas is in a tough spot for reasons that are partially responsible for, partially not responsible for. And brands like New Balance, like and also like Solomon and stuff, right? There are these like other brands that are getting more hype now. Because so I guess there's, there, I mean, again, another one of those things where I realize there's like 20 questions, and then within what I just said, but maybe just like your take, like what what do you see as the biggest shift? of like a brand going up or a brand going down that you think is like, that's massive. Well, I I think what the brands recently have been doing that are successful, right? Like Nike, I think has, has ran into drop fatigue, right? Adidas has run into legal issues with, you know, taking, I think depending on how you slice it, right? Like there's a bad business move, some ego shit involved. And then, you know, at, at the end of the day, like whether people agree with what I'm about to say or not, it's fine. It's like set aside like the antics, like, Ye is one of the most creative, brilliant people that have ever walked the planet. And so that comes with some shit for sure. I, I don't excuse any of that other behavior. But on the pure sneaker side and what he's done for culture, it's like Adidas, I think, has overextended themselves by betting just on big brands. Right. And so like that, that was a that's a business decision. Like if I was in the room, I'd be like, yo, we got to really evaluate what's about to occur. Right. Because like people didn't buy Adidas. They were buying literally Yeezys. Right. Like. It just happened to be Adidas, you know? So that's a whole other thing. But then you see what happened with like Ivy Park and and, and Beyonce, like no one knows about that stuff, right? 
no one connects her and she doesn't probably even do a great job of connecting herself to the product, you know, and there's no stories or nothing behind it. So you're like, I'm not buying this shit. Right. But what back to like you and you mentioned like Solomon, you know, I say Sakoni, but some people say Sakoni, whatever. Like some of these smaller, like smaller brand, I'm saying smaller, like smaller than Nike. Right. Like smaller than Adidas. They do a better job. Right. Like they do a better job with materials, colorways. Right. Like who they partner with. They really like push on the collabs. I think that's another thing that the bigger brands have like overdone is excessive collabs. Right. It's like that's all they do. You know, and so like it will be better. Like think about Nike's catalog of sneakers. If you think about the whole thing, it's like, yeah, it would make more sense to go back in the back in time, back in the vault. And tell those stories, right? Like bring back like the the true stories of like. Like the Pippins or like, you know, Jason Kidd, you know, like the, the Zoom flights, like, you know, like bring back Gary Payton's glove. Like there's certain shoes like people really jive with that. All we're focused on is like the next Jordan one collab, the next Jordan one collab, because like it's a hot person in this, in the market that we're like collab with. Where they done well though, for example, is, you know, like I'm I'm just getting into it. like New Balance did a great job with Salehi, right? Like those collab, that collab is really solid, right? The stories behind it, they let Salehi tell the story, and that was the first pair of New Balances I bought because I was like, one, I was like, great that they're partnering with other designers, black designers that are allowing them to have like creative freedom to create the stories that are compelling to me, who is someone who is not a New Balance person, where I'm like, yo, I really rock with how they have, like the compilation of this release. I like it. So I want to be involved. Whereas like, I think a Nike can take a step back and be like, look, it's like, it's like over commercialization at this point, I think is where the big brands have, have fallen. And the new brands have doubled down on authenticity. Right. And so that's, that's going to win in the sneaker community, right? If you're authentic and invite people into the journey a little bit more and the backstory, you're going to win, right? If you don't and you just drop a shoe every week and nobody can get it, you run into drop fatigue and what's happening with having excess inventory, yeah. right? So how, how does the brand then, I, there's, probably, there's probably no easy answer to this, but like I used to think, you know, you look at the downfall of Yeezy and thinking, well, Nike did a better job in many ways by picking some collabs. But then you look at some of the recent controversy around like Tom Sachs, right? And it makes you think like, okay, right? Like how, how much there's this inherent risk in collabs, right? That you just don't know. Or I, I don't know, like what is a more thoughtful collab strategy? I don't know. Do fewer of them just be super more intense about picking the right person? Because you can't really like assess all this stuff, right? Well, well... I'll put it this way. First on the Tom Sachs thing, like no person, woman, man, however you identify should be in an environment like that in any means, by any means. No, no way. Um, Nike can do the diligence just like they would do on, on a C-suite executive coming from another company. They, could, they should do the same on a collab, right? Meaning like, yo, if somebody, you could do some diligence on Tom Sachs to find out who he is, right? Why, why not? you know, and, and in the culture that we live in, right? Like this, this cancel culture, like Nike should have been like, yo, if you have a pair of Tom Sachs and you don't want it anymore, we'll buy it back from you. Right. Like there's, you know, like it's, it's thinking about like in the moment, instead of being like, yo, we're going to talk to Tom, you know, we're going to have a chat with him, you know, like he's your kid and put him in timeout for a minute. But, you know, things continue to be like, no, nah. like, you know, and I, I have all three pair of the, the Tom, Tom Sachs, like general purpose joints, like, the question I have to myself is like, 
and probably the other people are thinking, it's like, well, do you still have them? It's like, well, yes, right now I still have them. I really like the shoe. <laughs> but like at the same time, like I don't condone the activity. Right. And so I'm going to probably make a personal decision to not have those shoes. Right. You know, but Nike, I think, or brands in general, like you, you have to be really thoughtful about that stuff. And I just think doing the extra diligence prevents these things. Now there's this, the, the human component of that, like what somebody could do in the, in a moment, you have no control over. Like I could go on a crazy rant and say like wild stuff right now. And you might delete it, you know, like after the, you know, right now, or I'll do it after the fact of this podcast release. And Ryan, you'd be like, Whoa, like who did, who did we just, who did we just, who did we just talk to? Like a whole different person. Right. But you know, the, the reality is like, you can't control that, but like you can do enough homework. I think on the front end, especially if you want to, to find out about somebody's history. Right. I also think on the collab front, like I do think it's it's like I use the word drop fatigue all the time. But it's like I think it's drop fatigue, collab fatigue. It's excessive. Right. And I think who the collabs are with are always just like super mainstream, super well-known people. You know, like the social status drops, like the odd mom and year drops, like those things are better because the stories that the brands actually are telling, meaning like mom or social status or whoever, like it's. It becomes, you know, I'm using Nike, but it's in, in Jordan, but it's like it, it creates an easier tethering to me as a customer to be like, yeah, like like the Ama 12s that came out, like it was all about black women. Right. Or women in, or you could just say like women in general. It's like, yes, everybody has a woman in their life that they can be like, yes, this this person has done something for me of of influence that is monumental enough that has gotten me from point A to point B. Right. So it's like you get behind that, you know you know, like the Dornbachers, right? Like people love it because it's like, man, these are like kids with, that are fighting, you know, every day for their life. They get the chance to design something. You want a piece of it because they do something that is, you know, dope. So it's like, I think it's overkill at this point. I think if Nike just took a break, and I know this is like contrary to their business, I think if they just took a break, <laughs> right? Like, yo, just take a minute, like wait a while, right? Like you don't have to drop a shoe every day, like a hype shoe every day. Like if maybe once a, once or twice a month, like the hype one, like a shoe that is and do a really good job of like telling the stories again for any and it's for any brand, like which is I think back to like why like a new balance or like when an ASICs drop happens with a collab or you know, you know, fill in the blank, it's it seems more well done and well executed because they don't do it as frequently and they're very intentional about how the creator gets to create the storyline. And then how that is distributed on the different media channels, right? And so then you consume it very differently. You're like, wow, yeah, that's real. You know, so I don't know. That's what that's what I'm thinking. Is like just just pause a little bit, big brands. will give us a chance to digest the last piece. One thing we haven't talked about too much that I think is going to be increasingly more important is a brand's like digital presence, right? And you could argue as to how impactful it is in the short term versus long term. I think about things like, you know, Nike and Artifact and Adidas and their NFTs and Puma. What what do you think is like the impact of that in the short term and long term? Because, you know, the state of the market and just like, you know, is this like going to actually drive the bottom line for a Nike or is it more like good PR right now? What's your take on just any sort of their, their like forays into like creating digital products too? Digital products. Yeah, I mean, so look, like I think I think there's this craze that had happened prior to like, digital, physical in, in integration, <laughs> right? 
it was like the whole like blockchain, you know, Web3, crypto, like NFTs. Like it was just like crazy that we were in. Right. That's, that's, there's some of that that's clearly subsided, right? For market conditions that we don't have to get into. And, and I think there's just stages of businesses or products like, or technology. Like it's, it's very early for that type of technology. But back to like the physical digital. So I think what Nike is doing with artifacts and other brands, right? Like let's, I'm just using artifact, right? As the example, I think it makes sense in, in some instances, right? Because there are scenarios where you're like, man, I could create a really dope digital product that may never come to fruition, but I'm able to allow people to have like ownership, you know, however you want to tokenize it, like without giving it, like, you know, you can do all those things to make a really dope digital product that then becomes a way to engage, right? Community around this idea of like, how do we take now like a digital asset, whether that's truly like in the metaverse or however that's being positioned, right? To then become an actual Nike release, right? Which is, or, you know, Nike artifact release, which I think is cool. I think what needs to also happen, which I think is dope for what they did with like the swoosh events, right? You know, popping up in the different cities, different communities is one, breaking down Web3, how it connects to artifact, you know, how it connects to the Nike business strategy overall. And that's cool because now you're creating like a symbiotic relationship for everybody to like be on the same information plane. Right. Right. So then when we start to see shit, we're not like, what is this? Like, how does this work? What is a digital sneaker? You know what I mean? Like, no, we're not we're not having those conversations. I think where, you know, like the the runway starts to end is like when you have creators like digital creators or people in the community that are like sneaker designers. And that's typically like the rub with that is a lot of people make a lot of dope sneakers like Nike by you or whatever you want to call it. I think that's where you can start to see like people could get into like taking what they are creating and be able to monetize it on Nike's platform, which I know is like part of the game. That makes sense, right? Because now you can do a lot more stuff without the actual operational cost of creating a physical sneaker that's not required at the moment, right? You might be like, yeah, it doesn't make sense for us to do a limited run of X sneaker because it costs money to do, right? Even in a small batch or limit, you know, it just doesn't make sense, right? But you could create the digital version that you could buy and replicate whatever, over and over again. And then you could potentially pay to have that sneaker actually made into a physical good. Right. And so I think there's, there's some things that to me make sense that, and I'm still like wrapping my head around all this shit too. Right. Like it's, it's even wilder that we're even having a conversation about digital, digital, anything like digital sneakers in our case, but like any of it. And then this, this is like a conversation like we we've had before on the soul safe side, right. Is what's the world where we like insure a digital sneaker? And then I was like, I got to go. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, certification, authentication through digital format, maybe NFT or something like that. Earlier, where I was talking about like proof of ownership, provenance, but back to the ID, right? Like having some identifier that lives, you know, in the Web3 space, like on blockchain that creates that, you know, untouchable digital record and proof of, you know, ownership, provenance throughout time as things change hands, this and that. You know, I own the original, like these are the, the duplicates, so to speak, the replica, you know, people are okay with that word, right? You know, so there's, I think there's so much to look forward to and like how technology can definitely like infiltrate and advance the space. I think it just, people have to get on the same information plane first, right? And I think big brands like Nike, Adidas, everyone else, and the technologists behind, you know, the tech can also 
you know, merge or converge, I guess, and start to help people know what they're looking at, what they're buying, you know, investing in, insuring, right, along the way, so. Phil, I want to keep talking to you about literally so many of these topics, so I'm going to book you in for round two. Yeah, but I know we're running out of time, so I, I'm going to ask you the same, like, last two questions I use to close every episode. One being, you know, where people find you, like websites, social media, etc. And then second, what's one last message you'd like to leave with the audience? Yeah, so for, for SoulSafe, you can find us on Instagram or any of the platforms at SoulSafeCo, S-O-L-E-S-A-F-E-C-O. That's on Instagram, primary platform, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever. You can connect with me in those places too. Or our website, right, www.soulsafe.co. You can get all the info you want on the platform, the insurance, whatever whether you're a user or a brand, right? Like all the info's there. And then what I would probably want to leave people with is wear your shoes and also know you can insure them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, so shameless plug, right? Amazing. Thank you so much, Phil. And I'll talk to you the next time for sure. Yes, thank you, Tony. Thank you for listening to the New Street X podcast. You can learn more about the guest in the show notes and learn more about New Street at newstreet.com. Please make sure to like, follow, subscribe across YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and more. Thank you so much. See you next time.